Welcome, guys, to the Recovering Reality Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Fredrickson. We are honored that we could be a part of your recovery journey and encourage you and help you in any way possible. Before you enjoy this awesome podcast, we also just want to let you know there is a whole bunch of free resources that you can find on our website at recoveringreality.com. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Recovering Reality Podcast. Excited to uh, bring another conversation to you guys today that is timely and will be very encouraging. And as promised, we have we have a returning guest on the show. Jeff, how you doing, man? What's up, Eric? Thanks for having me back on. Absolutely, man. Absolutely, man. It's a privilege. Um, those of you that heard Jeff's story uh, or haven't, uh, Jeff is coming up on five years of recovery, right? Four, four years of recovery, and um, does a lot of amazing things with the uh, uh, business. I guess is the way to put it. With the uh, reaction recovery, mm. you guys can uh, can check that out. He'll give more information on that, and I would encourage you to check out the last podcast uh, or a couple ago. I suppose with his story, it's powerful. It's really, really powerful. So let's dive right into it. We want to um, once you get us started on a little bit of a time-sensitive matter, uh-huh. and then uh, we'll get into just encouraging some people with some real simple stuff that will uh, strengthen the foundation of their recovery. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, you and I talked for the first time, I think, two and a half weeks ago, right? And, and, uh, About yeah, saying, two, three weeks, something. Mm-hmm. Two or three weeks ago, and, and I was saying you know, that that may as well have been a day ago. Uh, yeah. You know, the world feels like a, like a very different place today. Um, it does, strangely. Yeah, but... Uh, I mean, I could I, mean, I could say a lot about it. Um, it's a hard time for the recovery community. There's no doubt about that. You know, this uh, you know, you take this this disease of isolation, you know, which is what I refer to drug and alcohol addiction as, uh, which is only treated through pro. And then you issue this, you know, nationwide mandated isolation uh, indefinitely. This this indefinite isolation. Um, and I don't know, man. I mean, I don't. I don't know exactly how it's going to play out. I don't think anybody knows how it's going to play out. Exactly. Uh, but I, I hope that it, uh, that it starts to resolve itself uh, soon. Um, yeah. I hope so. I mean, there, I guess there's a tentative date on it, which is, I don't know, the first or second week of April, but nobody really knows, yeah. like you said. Mm-hmm. Right, because because right now, okay, so we're isolating all these people, um, like the recovery community. We're isolating these people and ex- them to pick up the phone, you know, get online, that sort of thing, uh, which is, that's a difficult thing for a lot of people in recovery, uh, and especially newer people, you know, I, I, I was just talking to somebody about this, that it's been hard enough for me to take advantage of some of these online meetings and to expect somebody newly sober. Uh, it's, a, it's a hard thing. I don't know what the right answer is. It, I don't think anyone really does, but uh, uh and and now look, you know, I don't agree with everything our president does or says, but I heard him talking yesterday about trying to open things back up in a few weeks if if possible, you know, if the numbers justify that. Um, and then he said something, uh, which is the exact thing that I've been saying, you know, which is basically, and I'll kind of paraphrase, and he said, you can say things like if it saves even one life, right, from succumbing to COVID-19, the mass isolation will have been worth it. But you need to look at the flip side of that same coin. Um, if you isolate all the people, you know, for months, and 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 all these and the livelihoods of many many people you know, start getting destroyed in the process, 
Well, the right. price to be paid is in mass depression, suicides, and the resurgence of the opioid epidemic. I'm, I'm kind of happy that he even threw that in there, you know, just so that like, at least like, the thought, you know, that somebody in the government is, is thinking about how this is going to impact that community. Uh, and I had to agree with that. Um, I mean, look, I have a, a, a pharmacy background where everything needs to be measured on a cost-benefit scale. Um, mm-hmm. I, we could force isolate, you know, so forced isolation for a year, you know, will certainly contain the spread of, of, a, of a contagious respiratory virus, you know, um, uh, but just getting the motivation and, and, and you know, self-direction for these groups is, is asking a lot, you know, in my opinion. Um, sure, we're ultimately responsible for our own recovery, but in the beginning, that happens by letting other people kind of push and pull us in the right direction and, and forcing us apart is maybe the scariest possible thing for this community. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, I think that's well said. You know, uh, obviously there's a lot of people who are, are doing Zoom, you know, through the app Zoom, and uh, there's online meetings, and there, there's still ways to connect. If someone wants to stay clean and sober right now, they're going to. Right. You know, there's there's still ways to connect to people, but um, – it definitely has made it more difficult. And um, to your point of emphasizing to people in early recovery, I would, I would completely agree. I, I, I really, really needed contact with people um, daily, you know, in in recovery early on, and that is that um, you just can't do that right now. So yeah, people in early recovery or maybe trying to start their recovery right now, mm. um, this would be very difficult to do that and yeah you know to the point you made about um what trump said it's like what, I, what i've been telling people is the, the the government not just him but the government people working on state governments local they are seeing it from a different perspective they're seeing the bird's eye view of what mm. it's doing to the healthcare and business and different things plus the spread of it and I believe, obviously, most of them are just doing the best they can, but there is that very real thing you're talking about of you're putting people's livelihoods, businesses are going to go out of business. You're talking about people who suffer with depression, alcoholism, Mm. um, so many different things, and this is just like a breeding ground for that. Yeah. It's it's not a popular topic, but it has to be. And there's also the psychology of fear, you know, associated with this virus that can really drive people uh, into this elevated state of stress and anxiety. And, and, and we know that unregulated stress is the number one predictor of relapse. Okay, not to mention people um, with a history of drug and alcohol abuse are at a higher risk for the coronavirus overall. You know, they have weakened immune systems and higher rates of infections as a group you know, um, higher rates of hepatitis C, HIV. They're more likely to be smokers, so they're more likely to have weakened lung function. Um, these are all things. Uh, also, think about the challenges that a treatment center has right now, trying to quarantine right. off a sick patient. You know, a lot of people come into treatment require a detox. And mm-hmm. what do a lot of drug detoxes look like? You know, flu-like symptoms. Oh. Oh, I, I worked in one. Yeah, they are. Um, it's it's like the uh, Walking Dead in there, for lack of a yeah. better way to put it. It's it's intense. People are like, most of them think they're dying the whole time. They're obviously not. Um, some of them it's bad enough where it's close to on some of some of you know case by case scenario. But it's yeah, 
Yeah, that's a good point, man. The detox is going to be real, real rough right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I think back to when you were getting sober. or you know, So I remember basically that whole first year, uh, especially the first six months, it was, it was just one big attempt to distract myself from my own head. Uh, and even that, even that was touch and go for a while. It was, it was, uh, it was hobbies and, and meetings and going to diners. I went on a few retreats. Um, all things involving other people, just to drown out that voice in my own head, uh, just begging me to pick back up, you know. So, so I consider, and I consider my own conditions getting sober to be just about as ideal uh, as possible, if you want to use that word, uh, just in terms of safety and, and you know, social connections, community help. Uh, and that was still the hardest thing that I've ever had to do, okay, with those conditions being relatively ideal. So I picture myself in, in, in you know, 2016 trying to get sober and the country telling me you can't leave your house or see anyone in person, you know. But you can log on to uh, – and I don't want to put these down, you know, but you can log on to some random Zoom meeting and listen to a person on the computer screen talk about their recovery. Uh, I mean, look, if, if, if watching a stranger on TV talking about their own sobriety actually got anyone sober the whole world would be sober right uh, the thing about these recovery groups is that there's energy inside the rooms you know kind of inside these interpersonal sort of face-to-face things that uh that you can't quantify and you can't measure you know but i believe that that's where the healing happens um and i can't see how that energy is going to be passed over the you know uh wireless fibers of the internet um, now, don't get me wrong, you know, for the people who are already stable and have a foundation of recovery, okay, so somebody like you or, or somebody like myself right this moment, uh, the Zoom meetings are nice. You know, they are a nice way to, uh, to stay a bit more connected, but I mean for somebody new or even on shaky ground, you know, it's very, very, uh, it's scary. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, I'd, uh, I'd agree, man. You know, and I would just say this, too, it's like you mentioned how your early recovery was uh, – just ideal. So was mine. I moved to a different state. I lived with a couple that had like five and he had five years and she had six years and I was in meetings every day. And I was like, I I, I could say that my situation was pretty much ideal as well. Mm. And it was a battle, like you just said, just with every, everything being ideal. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm glad we brought this up, man. And it's, it's some good, some good stuff to be talking about right now for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I'm talking about about the effect that this is having on on recovery, particularly as it relates to the 12 step groups, and that's that's kind of like when they're talking about having these, you know, AA meetings and NA meetings online. That's we're we're mostly talking about about that 12 step foundation. Uh, and I said last time I was I was talking about how how that's how um, recovery was introduced to me as well, you know, and 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 as a whole over the past 80 years. It has helped more people recover than all the other modalities, you know. Um, however, I'll just comment here that, that uh, and I just kind of want to make this point, that one of the limitations of the program um, is that because it's the only thing that has worked well, you know, the organization has become extremely resistant to making any kind of changes at all to the program, uh, and, and for good reason, okay? I certainly don't want to risk messing up literally the only decent thing going for a lot of people, but the consequence of that rigidity 
in my opinion, is that as addictions other than alcohol start to kind of dominate the culture, you know, we're, we are continuously attempting to force the original alcoholic anonymous system onto other addictions and, uh, and you know, compulsive behavioral situations uh, that, I don't know, you know, it seems that they're, it's a little bit, they don't seem to take quite as well uh, from, from what I've been reading and from what I've kind of experienced. Now, now are there opiate addicts or amphetamine addicts or, or uh, you know, people who are recovering in AA or even NA or CA? Um, of course, of course there are. But I just mean the overall success rate there. And, and that's just the point that I, it's just the point that I want to, you know, make. And I, and I feel that it's important to be able to say it's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't hear it said all the time. The, the challenge with making this point is that the 12-step fellowships are extremely defensive and, and well-guarded against anything that threatens or challenges their modality. Uh, you know, the, the stock answers, okay, anyone who's, who's been in recovery more than a few days has, has heard them. Uh, you know, the 12 steps work perfectly for everyone. And if it's not working for you, you know, it's only because you're not working it correctly. Um, if you did it the way it's laid out, you know, you, you'd fully recover like I have. Um, uh, I will point out here that the 12-step modality is still first-line. It's still first-line treatment for the long-term control of addictions, you know, so much so that the court systems usually have it uh, built right into a sentence. You know, example, uh, you know, somebody, you might have a two-year probation, and with that, you're mandated to do 60 AA meetings before your next court appearance. Um, but mm-hmm. of the thousands of conditions that we formally treat, you know, both, both mental and biological, there's, there's no other condition that would place the blame for a uh, failing system solely on the patient himself. Okay? You know, for example, like if we had an injection to cure diabetes, uh, but only 4% of the patient population would actually administer it correctly, we wouldn't say that the other 96%, uh, you know, failure group are just lazy, weak-willed, and uncommitted. You know, they, they mustn't have hit rock bottom. You know, they must not want to recover badly enough. No, we will spread out all the data, you know, go back to the board and say, what about this treatment is making people unwilling or unable to adhere to its guidelines? Uh, and, and I don't think that we always do that with drug addiction. You know, we, we do... Um, we do the tough love thing, and we're still doing that. You know, your, your character defects are the problem uh, thing, which works well for a small percentage of people. It, 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 it happened to work well for me. Um, but it seems like the majority of people coming in today with drug addictions, when that is just forced on them, and, and they're, and they're kind of forced to uh, swallow and digest that right away, I just don't know, you know, so, so I'm going to wrap up this point, but, but my point here is that although the 12-step groups help a lot of people, uh, for a lot of guys coming in today with these long-standing chemical dependencies, okay, on uh, opiate stimulants, even long-term alcohol dependency, um, if it was regular consumption, the idea that you detox for a couple weeks, go to some AA meetings, and, and miraculously start to feel better, uh, it's a fantasy for a lot of people, you know. AA is incredible for spiritual direction and these 12-step groups, uh, but a lot of us have done a lot of physiological damage that might not be repaired from these groups alone. No, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad you're bringing it up. 
uh, I think it's a conversation that needs to be had more. And um, I'd, I'd agree with, you know, much of what you're saying. Um, I did a video recently um, talking about some, some things along the same lines and how AA helps a, a ton of people and it helped me and there's so much good, but um, there's just more, there's more that's available. There's more components mm-hmm. going on. Uh, there's more, the problem's more complex these days because you know, exactly what you said when you add, when you add someone who's been on a 10 year heroin addiction and you toss them in a room with, um, a bunch of alcoholics who have been practicing AA and only live by that. It's it's it can be difficult to swallow, digest exactly like you said. They're going to benefit from it if they'll because here's the thing. I, I look at it like this: it's all the same, with cocaine, heroin, alcohol. It's it's all just you're on a different avenue. You're all just heading to the same destination, um, but it it changes your perspective it affects your body different it affects your um how you recover you know how you bounce back and get your health and your mind back in the right place and i i like that you're bringing it up and talking about it i think that the conversation needs to be had much more i think aa i would never throw uh, the baby out with the bathwater aa i was um militant with my aa participation and way of doing things for about a year and a half, a year, year and a half. It was, it was it. It was everything. Mm. Um, and those principles are life changing um, when applied inside of the context of the individual's life. Um, but it's, it's, it's a bigger conversation that doesn't just fit into one sentence of saying, go to AA, it'll fix everything. Mm. Well, you're going to benefit if you're paying attention and you're participating, but there, there's more going on. AA doesn't, AA isn't the end-all, be-all. Yeah. Right. Um, and I agree with you that the spiritual component of these addictions is is nearly identical, right? So whenever uh, addictive pathology you come in with, that, that, that is going to look the same. However, especially that first year, the first maybe year to year and a half, um, somebody who's, who's, who is a compulsive gambler for 15 years versus somebody who uh, – you know, was running on a daily opiate dependency for 15 years. That's, although they may have the same underlying spiritual condition, that, that same hole, that same God-sized hole that needs to be filled and treated if they expect to live a purposeful life, over that first year to year and a half, physiologically, these are very people. Um, these are not the same people. Um, uh, so although it is lighting up the same areas on say like an MRI, if you're looking at somebody gambling versus somebody who's, you know, just did uh, cocaine, okay, what that's doing long-term to your body is different. You know, I, I mentioned Very last much. time, yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I mentioned last time that I was working with this guy, Dr. Um, Joe Yee, in the beginning, and uh, in my opinion, he's, he's the best holistic addiction specialist in the business. Uh, he's, he's, he's great, you know. He's on Instagram, actually. You should you should follow him. He's he's at Joe Yimd, J O Y I M D. That's awesome. Oh, he's great. Yeah, he's, he's great. He's got all these cool videos that pop up. I yeah, he's, he's good. We worked um, together, and we got this like nutritional supplement regimen that started trying to you know kind of correct a lot of these deficiencies that I'm talking about. Okay, things that are going to be different from the heroin addicted patient the amphetamine addicted patient, the alcohol addicted patient versus somebody who has not been consuming that stuff uh, in large quantities over long periods of time. Um, and so this was my 
this was probably my sixth time really trying to get sober. But it was the first time that I felt well enough, long enough to keep doing all those other things that have since become my foundation of recovery. Uh, the daily disciplines. The daily disciplines that, that, that become that backbone. I mean, that is uh, – and that's really the, the history of reaction recovery. You know, I, I, I kind of mentioned it last time, reaction recovery is an online recovery um, um, you know, consultation service that I started as a way to offer quick, cheap consultation to people right from their computer. You know, we do online calls. They're they're getting popular now. You know, so I I feel like right now, even the people, uh, the few people that weren't familiar with Zoom and some now they are. You know, I feel like right. everybody knows about Zoom now. <laughs> that was probably been downloaded more than anything else over the last two weeks. Yeah, uh, probably right. Uh, and then you know, it it started out as a nutritional supplements consultation, medication review. You know, we kind of look at if any of the I, you know, my background is in pharmacy, so we look how any medications might be conflicting with over-the-counter supplements you're taking, herbals, you know, stuff like that. Uh, but mostly, you know, where adding in some type of supplementation might be appropriate. Uh, and, and then over time, you know, it's 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 kind of evolved into looking at just like you were just saying the the overall daily routine uh, that you're following or not following. You know, what are the regular repeatable behaviors that you're involved with every day. Uh, I like it because I'll say this. Um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm segueing here and, and, and showing your hand. Um, I, I want to hear the 12 rules, as you call them. Is that right? The 12 daily rules, yeah. 12 daily yeah. rules. So I was looking through them on your website, and I'm looking through them, and I'm like, man, these are good, and I'm pretty encouraged. I, I do this stuff, <laughs> mm. which is not a surprise. It's why I'm living in real healthy recovery that, you know, is sustainable and, and progresses. And it's one of the things, you know, so, so, you know, as anyone listens to my podcast knows, or we talked about last time, you know, it's like, so I have a recovery coaching business. And I work with people all around the world and I'm, I'm constant on talking to them about what is your daily disciplines look like. Mm. It's the, it's the, it's the simple daily things you do on a daily basis that change the trajectory and take you to the big destinations you want to get to and what are those looking like and how do they fit into your context of living. So I'm excited, man. Let's, uh, I agree. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've read a lot of, um, of a Dr. David Hawkins. Okay. He's done incredible work in, in consciousness study. And he, and he talks about this law of sensitive dependence on initial conditions. Okay. So he says, for example, if you're, if you're commanding a ship and your compass is one degree miscalibrated and you continue down that path you know, for about an hour or so, well, you'll be off course. But if you don't correct that and you keep going down that way for a month, you're going to find yourself hundreds of miles off course. Uh, and that's the best analogy that I can think of for these sort of, you know, for your daily routine, for these daily behaviors. Um, I believe sobriety is won or lost in the trenches of everyday life. You know, what behaviors are you engaged in that you're repeating on a daily basis uh, because that becomes your foundation and and there's nothing more important to a sustaining life of sobriety than your foundation you know, because mm-hmm. when the storms come like this i mean this is a storm you know when the storms come and the winds blow the foundation will be the only thing stopping that whole thing uh you know from just 
crumbling to the ground. Um, so that's what these 12 daily rules for recovery are all about. I've, I've, I've talked with hundreds, you know, maybe thousands of people in recovery, and I, and I pay close attention to, you know, what is it that seems to be common to all the people who seem to be recovering to good purpose? And what seems to be common to the people who get, uh, you know, sort of stuck in this spiral of detox, retox? Um, and I sit down with people and I ask them, you know, just like you just said, you know, walk me through a typical day. You know, so I, you know, so I wrote up these uh, 12 daily rules for recovery, you know, because people in addiction seem to do well with specific, actionable things, uh, you know, not, not vague, ambiguous little, you know, feel-good slogans. Um, uh, yeah, so I call them the 12 daily rules for recovery. Uh, rule one is connect with a local fellowship. All right, so the majority of the rules, you know, sort of go in chronological order throughout, like, your day, except this one. I want to make sure that I put this one first, just so it's, you know, very, very clear that there's nothing about this that's in conflict with, uh, you know, with any of the 12-step groups at, um, or any of these other, you know, local groups at all. In fact, it's the exact opposite, you know. What I'm saying is that you have to start there, you know. You have to start with connecting to that group of like-minded people, people that are going through the same thing as you. Um, I don't know anybody, anybody who is recovering well to good purpose and who's getting better that hasn't, that does not have this strong kind of network around themselves. Uh, it just, it just seems to be part of the disease of addiction requires that. First off, you know, that's, that's kind of like the ante in the poker game. Like if you want to get anywhere else, you need to kind of nail that one down. Um, uh, yeah, the the 12-step the groups, of course, are the most common. It does not have to be that. It could be through the church. You know, it could be um, celebrate recovery, smart both recovery. Both combined. Both combined, all that stuff. Exactly. You're exactly right. You know, I, I, don't I, would, have I would just with... say this. I would completely agree, man. It was huge for me early on, and I tell a lot of people the same thing. Like, if you're thinking got you – if you're thinking of doing it on your own, got you somewhere you don't want to go, you need to surround yourself with people that think different that can help you get you somewhere different. Yeah. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so that so that's starting the whole thing off. You need these connections with uh, with real life human beings. Okay, uh, you know it's nice to have your online connections, and if you're on social media, you have your your Twitter following and your Instagram following, and you have your Facebook groups. Those things are nice, you know, nice little supplements. This is connecting to face to face. There need to be people, I usually say people that you can touch, okay? Right now, that's not very popular to say, but, yeah. but you know, <laughs> people that are close enough to you that you can physically touch them. That has to be, uh, that has to be some part of your, uh, you know, that kind of has to be the foundation stone of your recovery. Rule two is wake up at the same time. Uh, now, we know how closely linked circadian rhythm is to moods. You know, it's not... It is not the time that you go to sleep that's important. That part seems to work itself out. Uh, it's, the, it's the time that you wake up. Um, you know, that, and, and there have been study after study that have shown that. You know, so just literally setting the alarm for the same time every day, uh, it just jumpstarts your body. Like, this is the time that we're waking up. This is what we're doing right now. Let's get going. Uh, now, it can, you know, it can change a little bit, like on the weekends, but it should not change drastically. It should not be I get up at 6.30, 6.30, 6.30, and then I sleep until noon on Saturday and Sunday. You know, that, uh, 
I know a lot of people like that, and, and it just doesn't work, and it just doesn't work, and you know, that's why that's become rule two. So well, let me ask you this, man, from, you know, obviously you're more of a professional um, viewpoint on this. Uh, how how much effect does that have on somebody's, say, serotonin levels, say their energy, metabolism? Like how much does it affect that kind of stuff that people have no idea? They don't even realize it's doing that. How much does it affect on the physiological part of the body? Oh, it's, oh, it's incredibly significant. Um, every single study will show – you know, to to some varying degrees, it might it might you know change slightly if 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 this is the control group versus if this is the is the control group. But everything will show that if somebody has dysregulated sleep, they will almost invariably have dysregulated moods. And then of course that just you know becomes a domino effect because you're chasing it with other stuff, and then you're trying to you know then your cough your your caffeine intake is going up. Maybe you're, you know, more like refined sugars just to be that real quick stimulus that you need, and then you kind of find yourself uh, – um, it's all related to cortisol and serotonin in terms of sleep. Right. You know, that's the, that's the basic answer. Uh, and you're not – if you're not balancing those two, it's just going to be – your body is going to be chasing this, uh, this homeostasis throughout the day, and that chasing is going to look like, you know, things like um, uh, dysregulated moods. That's good, man. That's good. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, so rule three is set aside 10 minutes of morning quiet time. Okay, do something to slow your mind first thing in the morning. You know, read some pages from the Bible, read a, you know, self-help book, pray, do a guided meditation on YouTube, um, do some stretching on your bedroom floor, something to indicate to your mind and body that calmness and focus are my intentions for the day. I love that one. I can I can say I most mornings uh, I got a two and a three year old, so um, mm. perfect routine can sometimes be impossible in my world. But yeah. I stay as close to as possible, and especially the mornings. And I'll, I'll tr- I I try and get a minimum of about an hour in in the mornings of reading, writing, and praying. It's it's the it's the lifeline to things. Really, you know, it's um it's it's the difference between for me facing the day with my my feet in the sand or my feet on the rock mm-hmm. i didn't realize that you had a i have a, a two-year-old and a four-year-old uh, so i'm yeah, basically the you know same situation as you somebody asked me not too long ago they said uh they said of all these you know rules that you've kind of written out here which one is the hardest to you know to follow and right now it is this one uh, you know, right. for the exact same reason, you know, for the exact same reason um, that you say, you know, you know, and my wife is very good at, at, uh, at respecting and understanding what I need to do for my recovery. Uh, but it's hard to explain that to a two-year-old. You know, yeah. Yeah. It just, just comes running in the room, you know, Dad, yeah, well, time to, you know, I want a snack. Exactly. It's like perfect timing. I mean, you might be able to hear in my two and three year old in the background, just in the, you know, their, their home. It's where mm. we're quarantined. So they yeah. might have some um, background guest appearances on our, on our podcast today. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm all the way upstairs in my house and they're actually downstairs right now. Uh, uh, so I think that they know, you know, at least my wife's trying to kind of keep them corralled for at least, you know, a few more minutes. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I I did not know that you had a, a, a two and three year old. Um, yeah, man. Uh, you know, so I'll kind of try to go through these, you know, pretty quickly. We don't have too much time, but 
rule four is eat breakfast. Okay, nothing will. I don't struggle up. with that one. <laughs> no, <laughs> I used to. I I really did. Um, well, well, see, I had the mindset that a lot of people had, which is it's so uh, is that by delaying eating as long as possible, you know, that you're somehow going to be consuming less calories over that over that twenty uh, four hour period. Um, now, this actually is not talking about that at all. It's not talking about calorie consumption. You know, nothing will throw off your blood sugar and thus your mood, okay, quicker than skipping breakfast or, or eating a high-sugar breakfast. You know, right. A lot of uh, – I've read a lot of studies. I've read a lot of great books on this stuff. I mean, it, it, this, is, this is not theory. You know, this stuff is a lot of drug and alcohol addicted people have blood sugar issues that are undiagnosed, okay? Most people have not gone to their local doctor and, uh, you know, done a glucose tolerance test, for example. Um, but it's a really, really common thing, you know, in the alcohol-addicted community and also drug-addicted community. Uh, and we know that sugar cravings can easily get mistaken for alcohol cravings, okay? So I'm always stressing the importance of a high-protein, low-refined sugar breakfast, you know, yeah, so when I say breakfast, I don't mean I don't mean coffee and three donuts. You know, that that yeah, doesn't a count. Bowl of Captain Crunch every morning or something like bowl, that. Bowl right? of Captain Crunch and a and a Cinnabon. Um, yeah, so it's and a Cinnabon. <laughs> and a Cinnabon. And this is not okay. So this is not to lose weight uh, or to improve your physique. Now, oftentimes that will happen when you start to stabilize everything else. But that is not the goal here. The goal here is simply to stabilize the blood sugar early, okay, with a lot of protein, low sugar, so that several hours later you don't get that deep crash um, uh, that a lot of people will mistake for drug and alcohol cravings, you know, because cause your body sees those alcohol sugars as almost identical to, like, the refined sugars that we're talking about, you know, in a donut or a cookie. Um, it, it can mistake them, you know, so we can easily mistake them ourselves in the thinking, like, uh, like I really need a drink right now, when in reality what you really might need is to stabilize your blood sugar. But if you had a high-protein, low-sugar breakfast, that tends to smooth out those peaks and valleys throughout the day. Awesome. Practical, helpful stuff, man. All so right, rule, what's, what's next? Yeah. Rule five is establish a supplement regimen. Okay, like I'm not going to get into that one too too much. You, you can go on the website. I, I I've written a lot down. This is what I talk about on, on, on social media a lot. Uh, you know, this is sort of the crux of what I do, you know, but um, I guess the basic message will be get with somebody who's knowledgeable and experienced in this area, um, and a lot of times the right supplement regimen, especially early on, you know, especially you know, in that first year plus, uh, can really, really make the difference between, uh, you know, just uh, – a struggling, grueling feeling in sobriety versus something that you physiologically start to feel better, and then you can start doing all the other things that we're telling you to do uh, without it feeling like it's uh, just this cycle of this endless cycle of I'm never going to feel better. Now I'm back to drugs. Right, and yeah, we don't need to take too much time on it, man. But I'll, I'll say this to anybody listening: I, I would highly recommend reaching out to to Jeff and touching base with him um, if you feel like your health just isn't turning a corner in recovery because, uh, you know, for me, it's it's been hugely beneficial. I have um, 
I had to kind of shop around for the right vitamins if that's you know that, that's fit and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's something that I do too, and it's been extremely beneficial for me, man. And I love that you're doing it. I think it's really really important. Yeah. Uh, so rule six is exercise every day. All right. This is this is not a a shock that uh, tends to still not be real popular to everybody. Uh, uh, I was talking last time about this underlying endorphin deficiency also that a lot of people have. Now, this would right. not be diagnosed as well. This is not going to be you're not, this is not going to show up on a blood test. Uh, but a lot of people have this. Um, and we can argue about the, you know, nature versus nurture influences on that condition. But the two most reliable, predictable, and, and safe treatments, uh, you know, for, for this type of of a deficiency are going to be one, a, a, a particular um, amino acid supplement. Okay. It's called DLPA, DL phenylalanine, um, and also exercise. Okay. Exercise should be every single day. Now, I don't mean, I don't mean hard strenuous exercise every single day. I mean, something that's elevating your heart rate. Uh, it can, you know, some days it might be, you know, it might be 15, 20 minutes, uh, just something. If you look at that, like it's your, uh, antidepressant, okay, like it's your endorphin antidepressant, I think you might be a little bit more likely to not miss it every day. Um, yeah, no, it's all, you know, what you choose to do does not matter, you know. It needs to be something eventually that you like to do, though. That's important. You know, if you're, if you're forcing yourself to lift weights, but you hate lifting weights, well, then you may as well not even start, um, because you're going to abandon that. You're going to, you know, get that sense of failure that comes along with a lot of exercise. It can literally be anything, you know, bike riding, yoga in groups, uh, anything, you know. I do most of my stuff at home right now. Um, I, I kind of set up this small area in my basement. I have some free weights. I have a mat. You know, you know I, I hung this little TV up there that I have attached to my computer with an HDMI cord, and I just stream online workouts. And there's an infinite number of them on the computer. You know, they're uh, they're either free or they're pretty cheap. You know, um, I can do that for maybe 15, 20, 25 minutes down there. Regardless of how busy I am, I can always find time to, uh, you know, sneak away for a short period of time. And uh, and that has completely changed my, my sobriety, uh, no doubt. I like it, man. I, I, I like these that they're, they're practical, simple, and that they – they all have an effect on the mind and body. They pay massive dividends. And it's it's not something, you know, like you're saying, you know, you're not telling people to go train for a triathlon. It's like just something they get the blood pumping every day, push-ups, sit-ups, elliptical, something. Um, it begins to it begins to fill the void in very healthy ways that we, you know, that we, we tend to go fill that void exactly like you're saying with drugs and alcohol. But this mm-hmm. kind of stuff – fills it in the healthy way that doesn't lead us back to it. And it's stuff that's just so overlooked so often, and it's so simple. Mm. Uh, the rule seven is be engaged in a good book. All right. Oh, I um, love I love this one. I'm, I'm with you, dude. You're with me on this one? <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. I'm a big from reader. About, uh, you know, from about, I, I would say, right around three months sober-ish, um, I started reading a lot. And I, and I read about a book a week. Um, since that time, I have them all kind of, you know, in this big bookcase next to my bed, and they've all been real, real special to me. You know, um, I can honestly say that reading has absolutely changed the way that I see recovery. 
Um, absolutely. I, I mean, there are incredible books out there. You know, uh, um, if you're relying on, like I said before, Instagram and Facebook to get all of your, like, recovery information, you know, some, some random account postings or some random uh, little book apps, um, um, excerpts, if that is all that it is, boy, you're in trouble, you know. Yeah. Uh, I will say, you know, which is this, you know, this is something that I have not been able to quite figure out. You know, I like to try to uh, look into the psychology of why some things are the way that they are. But this rule is the hardest rule to get people to comply with. Um, and, and I don't exactly know why. It's harder than exercise, harder than eating breakfast. Uh, uh, you know, making a reader out of a non-reader is it's a challenge. Um, and, and you know what I think a lot of it is? I, I do. You know, I think um, that a lot of people have gotten into uh, this, this habit of lying about – so I – so when I say that I'm reading, the only time actually that I'm really reading is at night. You know, I kind of the last maybe 45 minutes before I finally go to sleep and I'm laying in bed reading. Uh, for a lot of people, when they're lying in bed at night, you know, getting ready to go to sleep, they will immediately pick up their phone and just scroll through social media. Um, and I think that there's something incredibly addictive about doing that. You know, because even when I first started getting into the social media thing, which is relatively recently, I have found myself, and I have already established this habit of reading, I found myself tempted to grab my phone and start scrolling, even though I've, I've, I've made it a point to not do that. You know, so I can imagine that if reading is not a habit for you, breaking that bad habit of, of just picking up your phone uh, when you're lying in bed is, is probably – a pretty tough thing for a lot of people. It, yeah, it is, man. And, you know, I, uh, <clears throat> I've been a reader my whole life and I would agree, man, trying to convince someone that doesn't like reading to read is, is almost impossible. Like I, I don't, and I don't, I don't get it. I really don't, but, but I'll say this. It's, um, it's more, it's more than just new information because we can become very top heavy if it's all about head knowledge, you know, like, <laughs> There's people that have endless head knowledge on stuff, but they actually don't have very much uh, like heart knowledge and mm. the the wisdom on how to actually apply all the stuff they know in their head. Um, so, so there is a difference, but just just head knowledge in and of itself is is you know will help people grow and engages the mind. But readings, uh, I've read studies on it. Reading actually, people who read regularly have lower blood pressure. Mm-hmm. lower stress levels, they have a better memory, they mm-hmm. have they sleep better um, across the board. It's it's like putting the mind on the treadmill. Mm. That's and, a great and, analogy. And, and and it has way more effects than we think. Same with writing. I'm really big on, on getting uh, the people I work with to write because um, it's more than just bringing clarity to the mind. It's like, you know, a bu- it's like a bullet ricocheting inside the skull, you know, and you sit down and write and it's the, 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 it, quiets the storm but also people who write regularly it's the same kind of thing lower blood blood pressure um memory health digestion is better sleep is better um and so it's it's i'm i'm big on let, well, let's 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 end this this rule with this dude so what, what's what book you're reading right now uh, so right now i'm reading unbroken brain unbroken like brain my salamis oh it's a good book it's, it's really good it's uh i would That's recommend cool. it do you read multiple books at a time? Other than like, say, you read the Bible or a big book or you know those kind yes. of books. Like, 
Do you? Uh, yeah, I will usually be involved. But I usually have about three kind of going at once. You know, I'll have, I'll have something that's, you know, more nutritionally based. You know, I try to kind of keep up with everything. Um, I'll have something that is solely addiction focused. Um, and then I'll have a third book that I'm just reading for enjoyment. You know, so some author that I happen to be into at that moment. You know, I'm, I'm really into it. Dostoevsky right now. So I'll kind of have one of his books running. Uh, and, yeah, and, and it kind of depends upon my particular mood that night. There, there are some nights where I will read two books. Uh, I'll start reading something for 15 minutes, and I'll get bored. And then I'll, you know, pick up the other one, and I'll do that for 10, 15 minutes. And, uh, yeah, I have them all sort of right on my nightstand there. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm currently reading – I'm about done with um, a book called Opium, The History. And it's literally like a world overall history from start to finish of opium, you know, the morphine molecule, opium, mm. and what it's done in societies, governments, addiction. Um, it's crazy starting way back. Gosh, I don't remember when it started, but I mean, it starts way back, you know, in the earliest civilizations we can imagine and how it has progressed and opium addiction, you know, morphine, heroin, how it's progressed has been an issue since the dawn of time. But I'm reading that. Um, which is eye-opening, and then I'm also reading a book right now by. Have you ever seen the show Fixer Upper with yeah. Chip and Joanna Gaines? Yeah, I love that show. Uh, and Chip Gaines wrote a book called Capital Gains. Obviously, okay. play on words his name, and it's his entrepreneurial journey, and it's, mm. it's pretty awesome. It's a real short read. I just started it a few days ago, and I'm almost done. It's a real short read, but it's it's mm. really really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, check that out. Yeah. All right. So where are we at here? Rule. All right, so we're at rule eight. So rule eight, eight is carefully select the information you consume. Uh, and really important. The idea here is to be mindful every day of where you're directing your attention, okay? Because it all matters. You know, what, what TV shows are you watching? Um, what's on in the background while you're driving your car? What, what social media accounts are you following? Who are the people you're regularly talking to? All that stuff matters. Uh, cause I, oh, yeah. I believe that we are what we regularly consume. Yeah, I put it like this, man. I, I, the, the analogy, I used to break it down um, with my clients, and I've done a podcast on it. Is our, our mind is our spiritual stomach. Hmm. What it is you feast on in there, there's no way around it. It's 100%. What you feast on will be digested through your words and actions. That's right. And so I'm, I'm, that's why I stopped watching the news like eight years ago. <laughs> mm. Well, I was just talking to somebody about this thing, you know, about the pandemic that's, that's going on right now. I, I think that one of the reasons that we don't seem to be panicking about any of this stuff. So that what I will do is, is I have a 30 minute podcast that I'll listen to, uh, kind of like a news podcast, I guess. Yeah. It, it, so it's somebody that I feel like is pretty good, you know, He's objective. He sort of breaks it down. And I'm just getting informed, okay, and I'm not getting overwhelmed. So I don't have, I don't have any of the major news channels playing at any time. Right. So I feel like that's all that I need. All that I need is 30 minutes to be informed about what's going on, you know, kind of how is this going to be affecting us right now. Um, but that's it. I don't need all this. Uh, I believe that anything more than that for me, for me, um, ultimately does more harm than good. I, I would say for most people, whether they realize it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. So n- rule number nine, stop making things worse before you start making them better. Uh, when I first tried to get sober, 
there was this rush to, you know, fix everything that I saw as broken. Um, well, it turned out that I wasn't able to do that. And, and, and those lofty expectations were just setting me up for failure. And, and uh, you know, so I believe that the first thing we have to do is to, to just stop the wrecking ball. Okay, that should be the focus each day is to just stop making things worse before I start making them better. Later on down the line, I can start trying to repair everything that uh, became damaged over the course of, of uh, um, my addiction. But for now, just stop making them worse. Good, man. Simple and good. Rule 10 is clean your room. Um, this I'm so is, glad my wife loves this to keep is one of my house favorites. clean. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, this is the rule. See, what she does doesn't count, by the way. So it's got to be I know, you. man. Yeah. But she's it's got to like, be your contribution. Well, so I, I, I do the dishes every single day at our house. <laughs> I take the trash. Like, uh, I'm actively engaged. I change the diapers, too. But she is like, you come over to our house any time, at any time of any day, and it's like, you know, we were preparing for guests to come. That's just uh, the way it's all the time. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, so I will be asked, uh, you know, what does the cleanliness of your room have to do with uh, – Staying sober, I think a lot. You know, I, I believe that if you want to reorganize your life, that you have to start small. Um, and starting with your room is a great little uh, measurement for that. I, I, like I, think that, I think that responsibility is the long-term antidote to relapse. Uh, and and, and, and the no-sobriety attempt is going to be successful unless we adopt a sense of personal responsibility, you know, keeping our side of the street clean, if you want to use a common recovery phrase. Right. Say that again. You said responsibility is the antidote. Say that again. What was that quote? Um, I believe that responsibility is the long-term antidote to relapse. Personal responsibility. That's good. I would agree. That's good. Personal responsibility. Understanding that principle and having it locked in to how we approach every bit of life, personal Mm. responsibility, um, I I, I would agree, man. That's going to set you on real solid footing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're kind of running short on time. Rule 11, I'm going to have to refer you to the website for this one. Rule 11 is floss. All right. This is going to be like a little teaser. I'm not going to say how I tie that into recovery, how all I will say is that uh, for me, this is my nighttime barometer to see if I'm still on track. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to leave that one ambiguously uh, hanging around like that. I like it. I mean, it's definitely not going to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> you have to read it. You have to read it, or I'd have to explain it for a couple minutes. But uh, rule 12 is keep going, okay? Rule 12 is saying that no matter what else happened, where else you or where you failed to miss the mark, if you're still sober at the end of the day, great. You know, keep going. Tomorrow's another day. Yeah, I like it, man. You know, it's, you know, tying this last one into all of them, it's like <clears> – <throat> Well, I want to tie this quote in because it popped in my mind a minute ago. You know, it's like oftentimes the reward for doing the right thing is that I don't have to suffer the consequences of having done the wrong thing. Mm. Mm. And sometimes, and let's, let's call it what it is too. There's rewards. All right. Like there's a reward for getting healthy. Like you have good health. There's a reward for stewarding your finances correctly. You have extra um, and, you know, if something like this pops up like we're facing right now, you got some in the bank, like there's rewards when we live the right way. There clearly is. But but oftentimes, especially in recovery, it's like oftentimes the reward is simply like at the end of the day, I have peace. 
yeah. at the at the end of the day or the next morning. I'm not waking up in jail wondering how I got there because I was mm. in a blackout, you know, which would happen to me more than once and probably mm. people listening, you know. And just, just the simplicity of that last one of just keep going. It's like just living in recovery, your life's going to get better, period. You're not going to be creating new problems. But early on, you know, there's – there's the mess for 95% of people, 99% of people. Like, we're cleaning some stuff up, and just know it will get better. That's right. It's That's not right. a magic trick. It's not a snap your fingers, voila, I took alcohol and drugs out of the equation, everything's perfect. Uh, it just doesn't work like that. Um, and I think most people would say, well, yeah, yeah, I get that. You know, but then you start working with them and walking with them, and you see – uh, subconsciously that that thought was there the whole time and they're like you know I've been cleaning sober a week why isn't everything perfect yet yeah <laughs> so, yeah. yeah well I know people that have been you know doing it for two years and they're still cleaning stuff up and each person is different but just that simple thing of just keep going all right you don't know what tomorrow holds and every day you get a little bit more physically healthy the mind gets cleared the habits and I tell people this oftentimes transformation is like watching grass grow mm. You sit there and you're like, technically, I know it's growing. Okay, I know it is, <laughs> but it's not. But it is, but it's not. Right. But if you're taking care of yourself, like so many of these rules here, say the 12 steps, the spiritual components, these rules here, this the simple daily stuff, you know, your health and whatnot. If you're watering your grass a week later, you got to mow it. Yeah. You know, but if you're sitting staring at it, anticipating, like, why hasn't it grown an inch in the last 10 minutes? Why haven't, why, 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 why? But just it's it's a new way of living, and just keep going no matter what's going on. It will get better. You're right. You're right. And that does seem to be one of the scariest components for a lot of people is been sober for a month or two or three, and they can't blame you know alcohol detox or withdrawal or drug withdrawal, uh, and they're not feeling wonderful. They start to panic. You know, like uh, what what is going on here? What am I not doing correctly? And you're right. You know, you you. As long as you're hitting those actionable steps each day, you're on the right path. You just need to keep going. It's going to get better. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Well, we ran a little long, but I, I, I like it, man. This, this kind of stuff is important, and I think if these conversations were had more, you'd see more people, um, especially in early recovery, as we've emphasized multiple times, um, just getting their, their feet on much more solid ground. Mm. Solid yeah. ground, man. I agree. Yeah. Well, so. dude, I appreciate it again, man. No problem. Anytime. Um, you know, if you guys want to read more about these steps or, 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 or the different actions, uh, you can go to www.reactionrecovery.com. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, Reaction Recovery. Um, I'm always available. Uh, you know, I hope that this helps somebody. Oh, I guarantee it does, man. And uh, as I already did earlier, I, I just recommend, you know, any of you that feel like you, your health isn't turning a corner, um, just reach, what, what do you got to lose? Just just reach out to Jeff and set up a time to sit down and chat. Who knows, man? It, not my, it, it probably will change your whole world, you know, when your body mm-hmm. starts getting what it needs. Your brain mm-hmm. functions different. Your body functions different in that that affects everything that, you, you know, we were going over throughout the podcast, man. So reach out to him. Uh, thank you again, man. You know, we might do this again down the road, dude. Yeah, yeah, no problem at all. Yeah, and uh, keep doing what you're doing there in Philadelphia area. I know it's much needed.
Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Recovering Reality Podcast. If you're interested in recovery coaching, please reach out to us, get plugged into a free 20-minute session so we can get you on the road to transformation. If nothing changes, then nothing changes. You can start a brand new life starting today. Look forward to hearing from you guys. Thanks for joining us.